Hey guys, welcome to Maple Crest Church. This is a place where, together, we'll be diving into topics like who Jesus is, what he wants for us, and how to live it out in today's world. We hope it serves you well in your journey and gives you life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your family. Okay, let's get into the message. So today we're talking about Jesus' resurrection, and we're talking about a turning point. We're talking about uh, the turning point from darkness into light. Now, we've been speaking uh, for quite a while now, and I've been really enjoying it, so we'll probably just keep going, uh, on Revelation and kind of looking at God's character, Jesus's character through that lens of the book of Revelation. So in keeping with that theme, I'm going to be talking a little bit about that using Revelation as a bit of a reference for talking about Easter. Uh, I don't know if that's done very much, but anyway, it is very possible and actually very appropriate to look at Revelation uh, in terms of what's happening in the Easter story. And so we're going to do that today. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding this morning. Lord, that you have a message for us, and I pray that you would give us that message. And Lord, please use my words and obviously speak directly into people's hearts and, uh, and give them your words today and help me be a vessel for that. Help this message, help this church to just speak to people's lives this morning and help people to be encouraged. Lord, we come to you with expectancy. We come to you expecting you to speak to us. Lord, we have faith that you love us and that you want to speak to us. Lord, I just pray that you would meet us this morning and help us to hear your word. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today we're talking about darkness to light. Now, it was actually interesting. In pre-service prayer, we had uh, somebody share, and uh, the person who shared has um, has kids, uh, has some daughters, and um, she was talking about how uh, she was praying healing over her daughter and she was talking about how um, where they were talking about Easter and uh, her daughter asked why did it take Jesus three days to raise from the dead to come up uh, and be resurrected and it was interesting to because uh, the mom talked about how there were things that were happening in the tomb there were things that were happening when Jesus was taking those three days. And there's, there's reasons for that, and I'm not going to get it, but get into all the reasons for the three days right now. But it was just kind of that message this morning, the, the, the prophetic uh, was, was aligning with today's message because she was talking about how there were things, God was busy, God was busy doing things. Now God is busy, now God doesn't have to be busy. So uh, I, I get that God can do things instantaneously, but there were things, I do believe that there were things that were happening and reasons obviously for those three days, things that were happening during those three days that God was doing during that time. And then she even said kind of the theme of this morning's message, which is just because you don't perceive it doesn't mean that nothing's happening. Just because you don't perceive it doesn't mean that nothing is happening, which I think is like verbatim the message of today's message to everybody. So I'm just so blessed that that happened in pre-service prayer that that uh, kind of alignment happened during pre-service prayer. And I, if you want to join us in pre-service prayer, I would encourage you to think about that. Um, we, we meet on Zoom 9.15 just before um, we'd start at 10. So we have about 45 minutes where we meet together and pray. And God so often will speak to people's hearts or speak to the church through that time or speak to them to speak to the morning. And uh, as we pray for God to speak and pray for the morning. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, you can always sign up for a newsletter on the website and, and the links come through that. So you can join us on Zoom. So anyway, I was just really blessed that that theme came in. Just because you don't perceive it doesn't mean that nothing's happening. So 
one of the most remarkable things of the resurrection is the transition from hiddenness. So when I say darkness this morning, oftentimes darkness is, as uh, we kind of mean evil. Well, when you hear me say darkness this morning, I think almost every time I say darkness this morning, I'm meaning hiddenness, I'm meaning nothingness, uh, that there is this mainly hidden, but that there is this thing that's imperceived. So I'm not meaning evil, because I'm going to be talking about God in the darkness. Um, but it's this hidden space that we can't perceive. So there's in this, um, in the in the Easter story, there is this transition from darkness, from hiddenness, into light. And by light, I mean you can see it. So not good, not bad to good, uh, even though that's there too, but mainly hiddenness to uh, visibleness, to seenness, to people being aware of it. Now, Jesus, just to go through the Easter story, just quickly here, some of the main themes here. Jesus is a lamb who died on the cross. And lambs, he was a lamb because the message of the Old Testament, the language of the Old Testament was preparing people for Jesus. And they used the imagery, they used the, the, the lamb as a, as a symbol of perfection being sacrificed for people's sins. This was God talking to people about his son and, and giving these prophetic messages, basically, that people were enacting as a, as a way of seeking forgiveness from God. And God, God accepted that in that time, kind of as a, as a preparation for Jesus. Um, that who is the ultimate lamb. So Jesus is pictured as the ultimate lamb, as the sacrifice. So that's why that lamb is there. John 1, uh, 29 says, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is referred to as the lamb. And, uh, and also in the Easter story, Jesus is killed on the cross and he's laid in a tomb, a tomb that was sealed and left. Luke 23, verse 53 says, Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen, in linen shroud, this is the body of Jesus, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one has ever been laid yet. So this was a new tomb, and Jesus was laid there, and, Jesus, and it was sealed. Uh, now, lambs, even though they were sacrificed in the Old Testament, never came back to life. Uh, but Jesus did. Romans 6, verse 9 says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So he rose from the dead, which is why we have this Easter celebration. And he broke death's dominion over himself. And this is a transition because lambs were never expected to kind of come back to life in the Old Testament. They were dead and that was it. Um, so nobody expected this. Nobody expects things that are dead to come back to life, even though he talked about this for himself, about himself repeatedly in different ways. Uh, people didn't expect this. It was unexpected for everyone. They, they felt like Jesus was dead. Okay, so that's the Easter story. And in this Easter story, there is this moment that nobody sees. This, and, and in some ways, it's the most important moment. Um, that is kind of hidden. It's, it happens in the darkness. Uh, and it's a very interesting one. Now, when things change, this happens with so many things that change, almost everything that changes from going one way to another, there's something called a tipping point. And there's this fine line moment when we go from one force being stronger to another force being stronger. And it's this this kind of moment when things shift. There's a building to it and then it shifts and then we go to the other side. And so in that tomb at some point, 
there was the power of death, which weakened and weakened. I'm not sure exactly how this happens. Obviously, I don't know. But there's this power of death. And then all of a sudden, it transitions to the power of life. And also, there's this power, this, this reality of darkness that transitions to this reality of knownness. So it's in the darkness that this happens. And in the darkness, this death transitions into life. And nobody sees it. We see it afterwards. We see Jesus resurrected in, in the Bible. He talks about this. He talks about being seen by others, being resurrected, which is what happened in darkness now being visible. People are seeing it. Now, life won that day, but this happened in a place where nobody could see it. And that happened. It was this one moment when Jesus went from death to life. And the transition from darkness to light, so the, light, the death to life happened. But the transition between hiddenness and knownness is still happening. It started that day with Jesus proclaiming himself. But it's, going, it's continuing now and it will continue until the end. There will be a moment when everybody sees, but right now we're transitioning. Some people still don't perceive it. Most people don't perceive it. That, that hiddenness is still becoming light. We are the light in that we bring that known revelation to people. Jesus is the ultimate light. We reflect him. We reflect him to other people. We tell people about him. We are his witness of the light. So the ultimate revelation, the ultimate light actually happens in Revelation 5, verse 6 to 9. I saw in the right hand, so I'll read this to you, Revelation 5, and this is the main scripture for today. Uh, Revelation 5, verse 6, or actually I'm going to start at 5. Revelation 5, verse 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. This is God on the throne. So in his right hand, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? So God has this sealed scroll and who is worthy? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and look into it. And I, this is John talking, and I began to weep loudly. I don't know if other people were crying too, but John had no idea what was going on. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne... So that's Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Jesus has many names. One of them is lamb, but there's other names. Verse six, and between the throne and the four living creatures and amongst and among the elders, I saw a lamb. So here's Jesus actually pictured, actually standing as a lamb. He looks like a lamb. It's, it, John sees him as a lamb. So the elder, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. He looks slain. Now I would imagine this is pretty grotesque. There's this kind of dead lamb standing there with seven horns and seven eyes, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, this is an interesting message about the scars that we have from living for the Lord. I believe they're going to be held and they will be, they'll look different. They might look, you know, the same, but they're going to have a different significance in heaven. That's a side point. So Jesus has these scars and these scars become glorious. He's pictured before the father with his scars, with the slain as a slain lamb. And he went and 
and the, uh, Jesus here went and took the scroll as a lamb from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So then the, he's worshipped. He's worshipped as he takes this. He's the one who is worthy. Nobody else is worthy. And, and these elders come and worship him. And with this, with this worship, they're pictured with the prayers of the saints. So when Jesus is actually taking his place, it's kind of like a coronation moment. When he's actually taking his place as the one who is worthy, it is pictured with our prayers. There's a connection, in other words, between our prayers and Jesus being worthy. There's a connection there. And we could explore that. There's a lot of things there, but there's a connection between our prayers and these bowls, which are the prayers of the saints and Jesus being able to, being at the timing or maybe the being, you know, it's just very interesting, right? Of Jesus taking his place. So there's John, he's weeping. He did not know who was worthy. There's the lamb standing as if sacrificed with his scars pictured as a slain lamb. And he takes these scrolls and he opens them. Jesus will be famous. The light, uh, the famousness of Jesus, his, the revelation, hence the book's name, the revelation of Jesus is going to go forth. And everyone will see this. Everyone will see Jesus. All of heaven and earth are going to see Jesus. Eventually, this light is going to go around to everyone, and we will all see him for who he really is. his character, his beauty. I think we're going to be diving into the depths of Jesus for eternity, but this element of him being worthy is going to be known. So the death to life happened in the darkness and the light goes forth again and again and again. So I want to focus again on this moment when death turned to life, when the light began to go forth, when it tipped, that tipping point. So the tipping point was made famous by Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, we actually have a family connection with Malcolm Gladwell. He was, uh, I, I, there was a story, I wasn't there when this happened, but apparently, I, think, I don't think I was there anyway. I don't remember being there. Wilma, my mother, was at the table in the morning, I think one Saturday, I think it was a Saturday. And uh, they were having breakfast, her and Cliff, my dad and she looked up and she said so Malcolm Gladwell might be coming over for coffee today <laughs> and so this is her if you, if you wanted to know my mother's personality that's a pretty good picture of it and uh, so he may be coming over and it's like he actually was scheduled to come over but sometimes uh, Wilma kind of will put things out of her mind a little bit and uh, and kind of leave it to the last moment because she doesn't believe that things are really happening but it's actually happening and Malcolm Gladwell and so they ran around and they entered into kind of reality in that moment that Malcolm Gladwell was coming over for coffee and they ran around the house and got everything ready for him. And, uh, and he actually uh, took uh, Wilma's story, our family story, and put it in one of his books. Uh, so there's Malcolm Gladwell, uh, apparently a family friend, um, although I haven't met him yet. So I'm still looking forward. Malcolm, if you're listening, I'd love to meet you. Um, so, but this idea of the tipping point was actually interesting long before Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and you can describe the tipping point in lots of different ways. It happens all over the universe, all over psychology. It's, it's uh, a lot of different ways to look at it. 
And I first learned about it and kind of thought about it more seriously when I was taking a class on sensory perception, the way our senses perceive things. And in some ways, it's obvious that there are times when something is going on around us that we can't perceive. And then there's a moment when you can perceive it, a moment when things become available to us to perceive. So you can be in a space that looks dark, but it's actually full of light. There's photons everywhere, but your eyes don't perceive it. Things can seem quiet, like there's no sound, but it can actually be full of sound, full of vibration, and yet your ears don't perceive it. And we know this with animals, we know this with other animals, that they perceive things that we can't, they can smell things that we can't, they can hear things we can't, they can see things that we can't see. And we know this, but I think most people, our knee-jerk reaction is to live as if we're perceiving everything. It's a little bit of a conceit that we have, like we're the center of the universe and we can see and hear everything that is to be seen. And it's unnerving for people to be brought into this reality that they aren't seeing everything, that they aren't hearing everything. And you can see this unnerving part, uh, you know, at different times. I know if you take certain apps or things like this, you know, younger people can hear things and older people can't. And it's unnerving. It's unnerving to know that you're not being a part of what everybody else is a part of. So our knee-jerk reaction is just to believe that if we don't see it, if we don't hear it, if we can't touch it, it's not real. That's the knee-jerk reaction that people have, even though we know logically that that's not true. One of the very interesting things about this tipping point with our perception is how precise it is. I'll give you an example with the human eye now. The human eye is an amazing, amazing thing. It can actually sense, the human eye can, one photon. If one photon hits the eye, the eye will actually have a reaction showing that it actually sensed that one photon hitting it. It's actually higher up in the nerves in the brain where we have a filter that won't let us see it. We won't perceive one photon, even though the eye can, is actually reacting to it. Uh, that it actually needs to be about five to nine photons in 100 milliseconds in order for us to register seeing something. So it's five to nine photons in less than 100 milliseconds. So if that happens, all of a sudden we'll see some light. Our brain will actually perceive it. This tipping point from not seeing to seeing is measured in the numbers of photons. It's very low numbers of photons. It's very, very precise. And when you trigger something, even though things can be so precise, if you trigger that, if you, if you go from not perceiving it to perceiving it, obviously it can have a huge impact. It can have a huge, huge impact. The difference between a boulder falling off a cliff and not falling off a cliff. The difference between an avalanche and no avalanche. One tiny, tiny, tiny moment in time, a little bit too much vibration, a little, a, that little bit of a move and the boulder falls and it can cause a huge, huge dramatic effect going well beyond it. Now, this is an idea that's very clearly stated in the Bible that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven works like this. It works through small things creating large effects. Matthew 31, this is Jesus putting a parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. So this is a tiny act 
something where it looks like nothing's happening and you put it in the ground and all of a sudden this tiny, tiny seed becomes this large thing that, that becomes important for many, many things, uh, for many birds and other things in, in life. That's a description of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, this is Jesus again, giving them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid for three measures of, uh, her hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So this is like a little bit of yeast making a big difference in a big batch of dough. Hold on to this idea. This is an important, important concept that small things, this is how heaven works. Small things, dead things, like a seed is dead, has a huge impact. Now, the next thing, this is, again, an obvious point, but it's so important because we, in, our, in the way that we operate, don't operate this way. We don't believe this. We don't, we don't operate as if this is true. And that is before the tipping point, it is dark and not perceived. Before things tip, we, don't, we often don't see the reality of it before, uh, as it, we don't see the effect. We don't see it. But when before it tips, it's like there's nothing there. It's all dark. Just because we can't perceive it doesn't mean that there's nothing there. Something it always, because we believe that if we can't see it, if our senses don't see it, we believe that there's nothing. We often believe that there's nothing happening, even though there is. So I'll, I'll try to make this clear. So Anna, our daughter, we've been, she's been asking big questions lately. And which has been, I mean, she's just little and she's asking us these big questions. So it's been a little like, oh, okay, we got to get our ball, our game on here. We got to figure out these questions. Like she's, she's been asking like, how do you know the Bible is true and not made up? So we've been having big discussions. We've been having these, we've been starting to. So we talked about the big bang theory. We talked about how, how scientists, many scientists in our world believe that there's been a big bang and that the universe has come from the big bang. And we were talking about this in, in, the, in some other context, but we were talking about, you know, what other people believe. And then we were talking about, um, you know, how we understand that. And her first question was a very appropriate question. And she asked it, how, what came before the Big Bang? Like, how did something come out of nothing? Well, let me go back to the main point of this morning. Just because we can't perceive something doesn't mean that there is nothing. We often will, again, will believe that if we can't perceive it, it's not there. And the times when we don't perceive it, we believe that there's nothing there. So does nothing come first? Genesis 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. There was nothing, the sense of God hovering over this dark this dark for, lack of form, it started in darkness, but yet there was God. We didn't perceive it, but it, there was something happening. And again, I'm not talking about evil when I talk about darkness here. I'm talking about hiddenness, something that people aren't perceiving. God was in this hiddenness, in this dark place. The most powerful and dynamic spiritual forces that have ever existed have happened in the darkness have happened in hidden places where people were not watching. Jesus in the tomb. So remember, Jesus was wrapped in linen and laid in the stone where no one else had been laid. Jesus was dead. Part of the reason why it was three days. Jesus was confirmed dead. 
nothing was happening? Or was there nothing happening? Remember that, that verse, there was, the earth was without form. I can just imagine the tomb being without form in some sense. And, the dark, and in the darkness, God's spirit covering the deep. I can imagine that in that tomb, I can imagine it being this moment similar to Genesis 1, where you have this formless, you have this hiddenness, this darkness, and God is hovering. I can imagine this place of creation. In the darkness, in the space where people are blind, in the space where there's nothingness, hiddenness, where it's forgotten, it's unimportant, it's uninspired, unwanted, neglected, the, the space where you're alone. That's the space where we put God. We put God into this, like, he's not there. He's, he's nothing, but he is there. There's in this dark space, God is present, just like the mustard seed, just like this yeast, just like a mountain that can be moved, the earth that can be shaken. There's this power that is in the darkness where we think there's nothing And in that darkness, there was a moment, this tipping point, where there was the first breath of Jesus, that moment went, that went from death to life. I can't, I can't imagine what that must have looked like. I obviously don't know how that looked. This first moment, a spark, where all of a sudden, life came into his body. His body was remade, and there was life where there was nothing before. And as that tipped in that one moment, there's been millions of tipping points since then. Because of that moment, it's created this avalanche. Hearts everywhere turn and tip from death to life because of that one moment. It changed everything. The book of Revelation itself is a book about tipping points. It's a book about the tipping points that are coming where Jesus is going from being unknown, unrevealed, to being revealed. Every tongue will confess. If we go back to that scripture, Revelation 5, verse 7, and when he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, Jesus takes that scroll. In that moment when he takes that scroll, he is becoming known. He is becoming known as worthy. Now, people have studied tipping points with people, with groups. When things change in groups, so they created these groups, uh, closed groups, online groups, where people were told to decide something. So they chose a, a name of a picture. And they, so they choose this name of a picture, and then they're actually given incentive for keeping that name. So the group is motivated. They're getting paid, basically, to, to keep the name of this picture a certain way. And then what they did was they introduced a few people into this group who wanted to change the name. So you have this group, they have a norm, the picture is a certain name, they're getting paid for it, and then they start introducing others. And they have lots of this so they can see what happens in each group, and they introduce 5% more people. And then they take another group, do the whole thing, and they introduce 10%. And these, this group is trying to change everybody's mind. And each group, they're trying more and more. So, okay, let's see, nothing happened with 5%. We introduced, like there were 1,000 people in this group, we introduced 50 people, nothing changed introduced 100 people into another group of 1,000, nothing changed. 
Next time they introduced 150 people, nothing changed. Introduced 200 people, nothing changed. Then they introduced 250 people who were trying to change this name into a group of 1,000, 25%, and all of a sudden the whole group changed. It was the tipping point. And this was repeatable. They did the same experiment again and again, 25%, 25%, 25%. You know what that means? That means that there were groups with 24% where people thought nothing was going to change and nothing did change. And they were 1% away from changing the whole group and being successful. How many movements out there have died with 1% too few? Worthy initiatives that were 1% too few in their group, in their reality, and so nothing changed in the group, and another group that had 1% more and everything changed. In fact, in these experiments, they found that it was one person. They could, they could take a group and have one less person, and have one more person, and it would make all the difference. Groups of a thousand, they could measure it with one extra person. It was that predictable that this group would shift from having no effect and the name doesn't change to having the whole group agree that the name should be changed. That's a tipping point. You're at 24% and everybody's discouraged. And then you get that one extra percent and everything changes. And my question to you is, are you that one person? Your life might feel like it's not important, but you can be that tipping point. Your involvement, your agreement, your life matters. One person can tip the scale in a very large group. In Revelation 5, it talks about this bowl, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then later in Revelation, it talks about bowls tipping. There are these bowls that are going to be tipped. There's this bowl of incense that will one day be full enough. Your prayers matter. They fill the bowl. I believe that there is a coming tipping point when it will be one prayer. It may be yours. One more word of encouragement. One more saint joining the call to revival. You can answer that call. You can tip the bowl. You can give that word. You can change somebody's life. Jesus, one seed, tipped the world. And he calls us, he calls us to be messengers, to be people who tip the scales in another person's life, in a family, in a community, in a city, in a nation, in a world. We are called to tip the scales. It is that precise. It can be one more person. Each life matters. You might feel like you're in a place where no one sees you, that you failed, you're in a dark hole, you are maybe in that tomb with Jesus. You might be traumatized, abused, and yet Jesus is there. He knows what it's like to work miracles in a pit. 
God's power is not weak in places that are hidden. God has worked his biggest miracles in the darkness, in the hidden place. The earth was without, was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He has been there when there was nothing. And you might be right. I'm not trying to say that you are in the, in the known, in the famous place. You might be very hidden. You might be in a very dark place emotionally. You might be in a very forgotten place, in a very abused place. You might actually be there. I'm not trying to tell you, tell you something that's kind of just like delusional. You might actually be in a very difficult place. But that doesn't mean that God can't do something powerful. That doesn't mean that you're actually alone. Just because you don't perceive it doesn't mean that nothing's happening. People have been talking about kind of this reality of giving birth as in the church. That's a tipping point experience. There's the first breath that a baby takes when he comes, when she comes out into the world. It's a very dynamic spiritual place in the delivery room. As a church, we are going to encounter many, many tipping points. I believe that we encounter them all the time when we tip from one to another. There's different realities as a spiritual community that we will enter as we go forward in the Lord. We will have different places of hiddenness, different places of, of shedding light. We will be in different places together. And it doesn't mean that God isn't powerful, that God isn't doing things. The most dynamic places can be very, very hidden, very dark. It can feel very alone. It can feel very dead. But it doesn't mean that you're in the wrong place. It doesn't mean that God's not there. So there are moments in our life that change everything. We can see this everywhere. There are moments when we work and work and all of a sudden the rock moves. You can be pushing and pushing and pushing and all of a sudden it moves. You could be chopping at the tree and all of a sudden that last chop and the tree falls. You can work at something and work at something in school and all of a sudden it makes sense. These are tipping points, small and large. People talk about businesses that have overnight success. I'm in business, so that one kind of touches home for me. Businesses almost never have overnight success. They just feel that way to the community. You work and you work and you work and then somebody comes along and something happens and all of a sudden, wow, that happened fast. And you're like, no, that did not happen fast. It just was perceived quickly. It went from unperceived to perceived in a very quick way, but that was years of training and work in order to get that to the tipping point. And then it's an overnight success. Even though it was hidden, there was a lot happening. We see it in the tomb where there was darkness, a forgotten space, a rejected world. People think that God is dead. And yet it was a very dynamic place in the spirit. And the spirit of God was hovering there and creating something new that would change the world. So as you enjoy Easter this morning... Don't forget that we're on the other side of a tipping point. Don't forget that there was a moment where nobody believed that this would happen. 
there was a moment when the world saw a tomb, something that was dead. And they were mourning. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you give us this wisdom, this message, that even though we might feel like we're alone, even though we might feel like we're in a place where you've forgotten, even though if we feel like everything is dead, you are there. You are not unfamiliar with the dead space in our soul, in our life, in this world. Lord, you were there in the darkness. You were there in the tomb. You are alive, even when it seems that you're not. You are alive even when we can't perceive you. Lord, help us to have faith. Help us to be patient. Help us to partner with you to go into the tomb, to go into the dead places of this world and to wait with you, to work with you, to till the ground, to plant the seed that's not alive and then comes to life. Lord, help us to not be afraid of the dark, hidden, lonely, rejected space. Help us not to be discouraged if we feel it. Help us to be not discouraged to enter into it. Help us to be that tipping point you've called us to be. Help us to tip the scales in people's lives, in our city, in our nation, in the world. It just takes one.